Welcome to the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. This is Jason Klom. A quick thank you and hello to our new listeners. Anybody who reads uh, our blog that goes along with the podcast uh, will have seen that our uh, listeners have doubled within just the last week. So it's very exciting to have a bunch of new nerds on board. Um, whether you're comedy nerds, vinyl nerds, or both, I'm hoping this podcast um, serves your interests. And also, if you're not interested in those things, um, I'm hoping it gets you interested in them. Uh, this episode will get you interested in both, but primarily, um, if you're not into vinyl and a lot of people think it's annoying and hipstery, um, I, I think comedy's really kind of the opposite of that as far as comedy vinyl goes, but this this will kind of maybe set you straight. Um, this is Taylor Jessen. Taylor is uh, Firesign Theater's official archivist, and he's just a brilliantly funny guy on his own. He wanted to talk about the Credibility Gaps Floats album. You might not have heard it, but I uh, guarantee you know all the people in the Credibility Gap, or at least most of them. Um, Michael McKean and Harry Shearer, just to name two. Um, and it's a great album. Um, I will. Anybody who's used to listening to the show knows that about every ten minutes I try to throw in a clip of about a minute long uh, from the album, just so you can get a taste of it. But uh, we talk so much about uh, archiving and Firesign that I don't really throw any clips until later in the episode when we finally get down to brass tacks and talk about this this album. Um, in general, it's just it's just a lot of fun talking to him about comedy and his interest in archiving, and not just archiving, but restoring. Um, one really interesting thing about Floats, and one of the reasons we picked it to talk about, it's, it's an album that he's restored. Um, and, by the way, all on his own, of his own accord, and uh, usually out of pocket. Um, he restores a lot of albums, not just the sound, but the artwork. And you'll hear from the clips I have, it's really pristine. Um, since since the albums are out of print that he restores, um, you know, he's able to put them up on his uh, blog, which is taylorjessen.blogspot.com. There are links to everything uh, up on the blog as well. Um, you can you can see his archive, the things that he's put up there so that you can listen to and look at the art from. Uh, one that he's done that is a particular favorite of mine is How to Speak Hip. It is impossible to get a hold of. Um, there are a lot of uh, just vinyl people, vinyl nerds who, who want that album. Um, it's very hard to get a hold of, in good shape, and he's made pretty much the best copy of it you can find. Um, so enough rambling from me, but this is a lot of fun to do. Um, and obviously thank you to Taylor. Thank you to all our new listeners and thank you to our continued listeners. Um, obviously spread the word and thanks again. Oh, it's the Rose Parade. Wouldn't you know it? The Rose Parade. And we'll radio it. The streets are cleared. The flowers are fun. And the float from Baskin-Robbins is beginning to run. Oh, it's the Rose Parade. The crowd is excited. The Rose Parade. And you weren't invited. So sit in your chair. Just listen and stare. There's nothing else to do, so here's the Rose Parade. Good morning. If you're watching television, you can see that the parade indeed has been rained out. So uh, from here, we'll say... We're running footage of last year's parade. Hopefully, we have the whole thing. Actually, uh, the parade hasn't been rained out. Uh, no. It was going to be a very, very serious problem if it had been, because uh, well, the rest of the year in Pasadena is all filled up, so they would have had, right. had a double-header parade next year. And they would have had to pay us anyway. And nobody likes that. That's why not uh, double-header parade. All right, give me a little test, if you uh, would. Vocative, vocative. 
Tonight's the night I shall be talking about a flu, the subject of word association football. This is a technique out of living must used in the practice makes perfect. A psychoanalysis and brother and one that is occupied Piper, my majority. Rule by uh, attention squad by the right number one, two, three, four, the last five years to the memory. It is quite remarkable, Baker, Charlie, the much how much the Miller's son, the so-called while you are out word association immigrants problem influences the manna from heaven in which we sleek at Cowan and Timmer species all Americans speak. The famous explorer. And the, and the really, well, that is surprising partners in crime. When I get really bored, I do this in an Alan Bennett voice. Mm-hmm. And the really, well, that is surprising partner in crime is that a lot on his wife at the lion's feeding time, we may be CDE effectively quite unaware of the fact or fiction section of the Watford Public Library that we are even doing it. It's a far, far better thing. And yeah, it makes for some really, some really interesting road trips. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. Oh my God. It's, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm I'm kind of diseased that way. I don't know whether it was. Be, uh, are we are we taping it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, growing up, I didn't listen to a lot of comedy with friends, but oh. I had some friends turn me on to some stuff, and then I could share Python stuff with them. Yeah. I think I got introduced to Python for the first time by my sister because a friend of hers brought over uh, the Instant Record collection. Oh, of course. Of and course. Uh, Lumberjack song, and that was that was it. And then I would sneak that on. I, t- I taped that onto a micro cassette tape uh-huh. and snuck it into Mr. Silva's eighth grade uh, algebra <laughs> class and just listened to it. Um, <laughs> and listened to it a lot, really. Uh-huh. Yeah. That one's... Uh, I I am a big fan of creative record art, so that is one that I really do love just for the folding out. Like, it's a great album anyway. It is. I didn't even discover the the full folding out version until years later. Really? I just got the uh the 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 cheapo American reprint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I want the matching tie and handkerchief that actually supposedly had a real matching tie and handkerchief because that would be mind blowing. That I'm would be. Sure it's worth- God knows how much money. That would kill me. Yeah. I've got one with like a cardboard, uh, the, the, the die cut front. Yeah, I think that's the one I have, yeah. But I've never found one that came with uh, the thing itself. Because I remember Dave Higgins specifically said he remembered hearing that or seeing that. I'm like, oh, shit. I don't know what I would do. I don't know if that, if that actually happened. I'd freak well, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody, I should probably announce who I actually have on the show right now. I have Taylor Jessen with me. First Hello. of all, thank you for being here. I'm delighted. Second of all, how do we, how, how do we introduce you? What do we call you? Um, you do a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, oh God, I've never heard of. I've never thought of it. Um, <laughs> uh, my card at the uh, there, there's a guy Dave Malky who does Wondermark mm-hmm. a, uh, cartoon, and he uh, I, I tweeted him once about something really esoteric, and he responded, "Oh, you're an obsessive. Put that on my business card." Mm-hmm. I did right away. So it's like writer archivist obsessive. That's accurate. Yeah. Okay. That's good. You you are the Firesign Archivist. We can say that, which is prestigious in and of itself. You are probably the man who knows everything that exists. I, I, I that would be nice. No, it is it is. At least you know what to look for. Yeah, yeah. That's the uh, that's being on the inside is knowing what question to ask rather than knowing the answer. Yes, right. So I know I know what uh, I know what we're missing. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, some of the interesting stuff that we've got. Interestingly enough, their uh, storage unit is full of stuff that still hasn't been transferred that could turn out to be really interesting. Oh. Just because, like I told you at our lunch, we uh, Procter & Bergman went on the road in the 70s when Firesign was kind of uh, 
in a breakup mode where mm-hmm. things weren't going really well. And Proctor and Bergman were always the half of the group that loved being in front of people and getting that reaction. Uh-huh. Whereas Austin and Osman were more, I don't know, introverted. Mm-hmm. Um, they still love getting on in front of people and they're terrific writers, of course. But Proctor and Bergman were wanted to get out in front of a in a stand-up situation so they went on the road for years like between 73 and 78 Mm -hmm. at the end of that period they wrote a marathon and kind of got off the road but they went everywhere and everybody would be really nice to them and make a recording of the show and send it to them and bergman would never listen to it (laughs) so there are all these open reels sitting in their storage unit waiting to be transferred and there's there's something I saw on YouTube years ago, mm-hmm. uh, which I haven't seen since, which is some black and white TV footage of them in a studio riffing. And it was crazy. It's crazy good in all the crazy good ways that you oh, think bet. it could be when you're listening to some of their old radio shows, mm-hmm. just listening to them riff. They were, they were like that all the time. That was not a put on. <laughs> like listening to one of their radio shows is like listening to one of their writing sessions. They yeah. would just bounce and they'd create instantly memorable characters instantly. Oh, they would have been perfect for podcasting. So, quite yes. Frankly. I mean, yes. that's, that's, that's people's bread and butter. I, uh, yeah. You just blew my mind because I didn't know that Americathon was them. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. And so now, like... Yeah, that's 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 even stranger to me. Another thing I that we need to somewhere. another thing that we just need to add to our general to watch list. Mm-hmm. I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen it since it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've got it. I got it on DVD. Yeah, I have, Warner I have a Archive. copy somewhere. Yeah, it's just everybody in the '70s trying to get their their thing going, in mm-hmm. a, and these guys landed a movie. They they weren't happy with it. They sort of wrote the idea for it, but didn't write the screenplay. Okay. Yeah. Another you know semi disappointing product of comedy groups trying to get something together in the yeah. 70s. I, and I, I always wonder, like, when these guys are, were putting together... I mean, when they were putting together the albums... I mean, you, you were saying yesterday that they put together a movie to sell an album, so I, I do sort of forget how important the albums were as opposed to anything else. Yeah, it's yeah. a totally different world. I mean, yeah. just... Uh, bins full of records, and that's the thing that you're you're trying to sell. There aren't any videotapes. There aren't any... Right. There's, there's no digital media yet, so... Everything that you're going to get is either going to be an eight track or maybe a cassette, but mm-hmm. probably vinyl. Yeah. So everybody is is pouring all their energy into that. And when Firesign comes to Columbia Pictures and they say we want to do a film based on everything you know is wrong, there's three pages of paperwork and I've got it. And nowhere in this paperwork does it mention we're going to take ownership of this film. From Columbia's point of view, they didn't care. That's crazy. So they just gave them this film, and we've still got it. So we can we can put it on TV, which we are shortly going to do. Really, that's awesome. That is so good. I it, it it's one of those. It's such a fluid thing, though, being an archivist, uh, especially given how long Firesign's been around. It's it's so fluid. You you can't ever say, well, here's my goal. Here's the thing I'm going to be done with someday. That you can't look at it that way, right? No, you but cannot. That's also got to drive you crazy. Yes, <laughs> yes, it does. There's no end to this. I mean, you could almost look at this collection and say, okay, project one, projects one through ten, mm-hmm. they're huge, and I don't know how deep these things are, mm-hmm. but one day I will come to the end of it. Sure. But God, who knows how long that's going to take? Mm-hmm. Like I said, there there's hundreds of hours of stuff in there that I've never even heard. Yeah. And it's just me. It's just up to me in my Atari MX fifty fifty running them down that's crazy i mean at, at some point do you foresee and and do the guys uh hope to have everything out there available whether for purchase or in just 
in general out there? Yes, ideally. In fact, one thing that we're really close to but don't quite have yet uh, is a an MP3 download store. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to firesandtheater.com right now, you will see we do have a store, and there are things you can get there that you can't get anywhere else, like yeah. Duke of Madness Motors, which is 80 hours of MP3s. They're complete radio epic oh. from 70 to 72, so which is good. crazy. Um, and um, the latest one is Marching to Shibboleth, which is a complete reprint of the Straight Arrow books, of the books of plays that Rolling Stone put out in the 70s. Mm-hmm. We have put them back in print, and we have added the complete script for Everything You Know is Wrong for, in print for the first time. Uh, full of uh, just completely, all the text has been completely reset in the original fonts. Um, just one of those intensely crazy, stupid things that you do when you decide that you want that object. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we took a year and did it. Uh, but if you go to the store, you will be able to see a bunch of really good books, but no MP3 downloads yet. Um, that would be ideal if we could get that store going because yeah. MP3s are, let's face it, easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you just you you create a little image for the icon for MP for for iTunes and you tag it and you're done yeah. and you can sell it. Um, vinyl is much 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 harder. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to getting uh, some stuff out. We would really love, I think the first thing I'm going to suggest that they put out are the Magic Mushroom shows. Uh-huh. This is something that fans have been trading for years, okay. but which has never been officially sold. Just because the, the story is this is something that the fire sign did. This is the way I look at it. In the 60s, they couldn't get a TV show. Mm-hmm. So instead, they gave themselves a 12-episode a radio series Mm -hmm. they were writing full time and every Sunday they would go to Peter's show Radio Free Oz which Uh was coming off of KRLA because they were trying to be hip Mm -hmm. and he'd have his own Sunday show um, multiple hours uh, like at some point it was regularly a three hour show in the middle hour of the show every week from October of 67 to January of 68 Firesign wrote and performed a new half hour play and this stuff is as good as their albums and it's completely it's been completely reprinted for the first time we just put it together in a book called exorcism in your daily life (laughs) so you can read all these scripts and sadly there's one script in there that we will never probably ever hear because it's gone recording but a lot of these recordings are survived in pretty decent bootleg copies from Mm -hmm. people the originals are long gone like some engineers took them way back in the day Mm, of course but we've got pretty good bootlegs that we could put out on on mp3 and it's so it's so wonderful. They would go from doing a Sherlock Holmes parody one week to doing uh, a, a a play about um, Roman times the next. They would do uh, an escape a la Stalag Luft seventeen. Oh my God. Uh, they did a um, all of this was was stage work. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was stuff that they later did on stage and stuff they were already doing on stage. Hmm. So they were really, this was tight. Do you think their eclecticness comes from, (laughs) they seem like a restless bunch, I guess is what I'm thinking. They seem like the kind of, uh, something that I see in myself at the very least, some way I see myself relating to a gentleman like Phil Proctor, is that he likes to do a lot of shit. Yes. A lot of different things. Sometimes maybe out of necessity. I understand he's a working actor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does, 
Am I wrong? They, oh no, they, they do you seem you've got it. You've nailed it. These yeah. guys are fucking all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin, over the last twenty years, has had a really interesting career putting uh, writing and doing feature work that I don't see very much, but that is is really getting out there. Uh-huh. Um, just short comic pieces yeah. for 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 magazines. Obviously, some of that works going away now because sure. magazines are going away sure. now. Bergman was not just this comic guru and inventor of underground radio in LA. He was also an inventor. He sort of invented a a, a very small camera for inspecting heart valves. What? I know. What? I know. What the fuck? I mean, he's he he was he was uh, a, a demonstrator and salesman basically for the Showtron uh-huh. um, editing package, which was a nice cheap. Uh, uh, flatboard uh, oh, film editing yeah, package okay, in the seventies. Yeah. A lot of people use. He was all over the place. He was just he was coruscating from thing to thing. Yeah, yeah. Because in the other half of that is that the, these guys would get bored easily. Yeah, they want to get on to the next thing. Right. And Dave, and Osman is brilliant. He's um, he's the producer guy. He mm-hmm. will talk to you about old productions until the cows come home. Yeah. And he is actively producing uh, and editing new scripts. He's a theater guy. He will mm-hmm. do things for the theater for active productions that are happening right now. Yeah. Um, and Proctor, as you say, is is uh, a polymath too. He's all over the place. Do you have a perspective on the cost of a record at the time these guys were making albums? Like, how much it cost them to put these out? I have no idea. Yeah, because I'm curious. I have never I wish actually I, asked anybody. I wish I did too. That's probably something we should ask Proctor the next time we talk to him. Yeah. They had a special deal, which is that they were treated like a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, accordingly with the uh, residuals and okay. how much they would get paid. They got that deal because they wanted indefinite studio time. Wow. And when they when they got that, they got what they needed as, as a bunch of writers, which is the ability to go into a room, write something, and record it right there. Yeah. And they continued doing that right up until the end. Their last Rhino albums, mm-hmm. I was there luckily for some of, the, oh. some of the recordings of that. They'd spend a day, and at the end of it, they would record their three-minute skit. And they'd prep for the next day, and then they'd come back the next day and do that next bit. Holy shit. Um, they spent a whole morning rewriting something, came in after lunch, recorded it. You know, if, if you were to look at this from the perspective of a producer of a band, it would mm-hmm. seem totally irresponsible. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that's what these guys, that's these guys' modus operandi. Yeah. They got together, they riffed, they would improve each other's lines, they'd come up with some final thing, and then they'd record it and move on. I don't know that a lot of sketch comedy acts could do that though sometimes they seem to like they have to have that titan script in front of them uh, mm-hmm. way ahead of time to be confident enough to work with each other and not go at, go at their throat one another's yeah, yeah. throats like that does seem I, I know all comedy groups have have rifts and have trouble working together sometimes but that's that seems a much more polished way of working than a lot of groups they would come in with an outline yeah sure but not always with a finished script or they would come in with a finished script and then they just tear it to bits of course yeah um, they rewrote the entire end of Giant Rat of Sumatra the last eight minutes of it in the studio wow. so they'd come in prepared but they were a restless troupe and yeah. you know if you're the writer of something it doesn't stay funny to you forever sure and when it stops being funny you're going to rewrite it it's yeah yeah do you and we probably I know we discussed a little bit of this, a bit of this yesterday, but the first time you heard because I, I I'll just it, make it about me for a minute. Um, <laughs> do, I, do please do please do, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Jason Klom, the amazing so much, Jason Klom, and thank you, Jason, for I'm having me. I'm honored. On. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, but like growing up, my big thing is I always wanted to make a comedy album of my own. My buddy Dan listened to Fire Sign. 
I didn't. I was like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm listening to this other stuff. So I just, I just like, and I obviously feel like a dick to the day, this day for, for doing it. Cause it was just a little cocky shit. And, but I remembered thinking, you know, after I made my first album, which was 15 years ago this year now, I was like, you know what? I really want to do like, I don't really like Pink Floyd that much, but I want to do a Pink Floyd style comedy album. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's ever been done. And then I start listening to Firesound. I'm like, mother fuck. Son of a mother bitch. Mother That's all it is. That is all it is. They're uh, for for lack of a better term, the Pink Floyd of comedy. It's so strange to me. It really is. Nobody's, I've never heard anybody say that, but that's exactly what it is. These yeah. are, well, a lot of people, I think the Library of Congress picked up when they, when they got, uh, when Dwarf, uh, the Dwarf album got uh, put into the Library of Congress's mm-hmm. registry like in 2003, 2005, their headline was Beatles of Comedy. Yeah. And that's really pretty accurate yeah. because they'd go in the studio and stay there for a long time until they got it right mm-hmm. and they would make it sound really good of course and, and that's, and that's really and really thing. and really complicated that's the other thing they still set a standard <coughs> there there's a standard set by by these guys i really still think cheech and chong actually have a, have a wonderful production value yes too. yes they did these are just more complex and just as gorgeous mm-hmm. sounding mm-hmm. um and it's something that you, again, I don't want to sound old timey and like an old fart, but it's not. People don't concentrate on that because they don't need to anymore. I mean, yeah. even Adam Sandler sketch albums, as funny as some of them could sometimes be, were just way too simple in the sound effects department. There wasn't a lot of let's make an environment here. It was just yeah. like let's hit somebody. Here's a here's the same hit noise over and over. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's it's it's. Um... Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I mean, Fire Sign was not just they they weren't just coming from a rock perspective mm-hmm. here's my big theory about the fire sign theater fire mm-hmm. sign if there were a documentary this would be my thesis statement fire sign theater was dumped into a rock milieu mm-hmm. but they were playwrights yeah and what happens to rock groups they make albums and the albums have songs on them the songs live on because they're short enough to play on the radio and they're short enough to learn mm-hmm. what happens if you're a comedy group and your one performance <laughs> is is locked on this record that's the that's the that's the thing how do people how does this go on living mm-hmm. i mean they come from a, a theater background john guare uh they come from the avant-garde you know they they dig uh avant-garde plays in fact Proct- one of proctor's first jobs in la was uh playing alongside phil austin mm-hmm. and john guare's uh musica mm-hmm. the this was this was their bread and butter um so what happens to Fireside albums? Do they get pl- played on stage? Right. They should be played on stage. Yeah, they're not really played on stage. Right. They're not played on the radio because they're too long. Sketch groups don't play them because they th- it's too much to learn. <laughs> yes. Um, they're not part of anyone's canon. Yeah. There's a canon of art out there, and the Fireside canon is is in danger of disappearing because it doesn't fit anywhere else. Yeah. You can't recycle it. All, art only lives as long as it's got the ability to make uh, an emotional connection with with somebody sure and it's got to be recycled right so it's hard to get new it's hard to get people turned on to fire sign yeah so what you're saying is like the new monkeys we need a new fire sign i'm kidding, I'm kidding. that would be the yeah, worst yeah, yeah. thing in the world <laughs> can you imagine i can imagine and it's frightening me <laughs> we need we need a 20 we need a really pretty 22 year old guy and he's got to come in and play all of bergman's parts mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. and uh the, the other guys too you know screw them yeah yeah right <laughs> um what was so what was the first album you heard of theirs um and under what circumstances it was like 1993 and i was in uh my third year at uh university of idaho in moscow which has an amazing freeform station mm-hmm. which is still freeform and 
another guy was playing How Time Flies by Dave Osman on mm-hmm. his show. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to it, and I was not laughing, and I was listening to it, and I was listening to it. And I couldn't stop listening to it. Yeah. And then the laughs start coming, and then it gets weird, and then it stays weird, and then it, then you decide, this isn't weird, this actually makes sense. <laughs> um, and that's how the rest of Fire Sign, it turns out, is exactly like. You're going to listen to it the first time, and, and there's enough weirdness and one-liners to, to you know keep your interest through the whole thing. Sure. But it is going to blow your mind once you figure out that there is more going on. Um, and because I had a, my own radio show, uh, I turned over a couple of semesters to playing nothing but comedy albums. And I played a different one every week. So and good. looking at it, they had a nice comedy selection in there, some credibility gap and some other stuff. And I was looking at the, how much real estate there was in terms of fire sign albums. It was a couple of inches and thought, hmm, who could these guys be? Uh, so I played them all. I ran them all down one by one. Yeah. Um, and then I, uh, the first guy that I met was Proctor uh, on the phone. Um, because it was the 20th anniversary of Procter and Birdman having come to KOI, uh-huh. and it was the 50th anniversary of KOI itself. So just out of the blue, I called Procter up and said, "You want to talk to us about some stuff?" And Procter, being Procter, he said, "Sure." So, be, <laughs> so I I had a phone chat with him, and he's super nice, and we'll talk to anybody, and we'll shoot the shit forever because he's that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, I moved down to LA, and he was the first guy that I met, and. Proctor being Proctor, he just wants to keep in touch with you and yeah. you know figure out what who who you are and what you're doing. Yeah. So I just glommed onto Firesign over like ten or fifteen years and got more and more involved in what they were doing and became their unofficial archivist and then sort of became their official archivist, I guess. It's crazy. What was the first kind of thing that you were working on for them? Was it making sense of what I can only imagine is I, I just imagine an insane asylum of, of just I don't know. I, I don't know what to think. Like uh, of these four guys in these four different parts of the country, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, having done so much different and disparate work, uh, I just I can't imagine what a pile of their stuff looked like at first. Well, the, first of all, the guys themselves are were fucking impossible. Um, <laughs> as any group, I mean, any comedy group, they love and hate each other in equal amounts, and they're wonderful and they're complete assholes. I mean, the one of the first gigs that I went to with Proctor was it was about 2000 and Proctor uh, this was before Dear Friends was uh, was being thought of for reissue. Mm-hmm. It was a terrible idea for them at the time. They hated the idea of putting out all those original radio shows because okay. they were covered in record samples. They couldn't oh. be taken out, otherwise you'd fuck the whole thing up. Right. And we knew we couldn't take them out, so we had to figure out a way of putting it out without without editing it. Yeah. And they didn't want to do it because they were incredibly paranoid. <laughs> and Proctor said, "Proctor said, no, it's just not. It's not going to happen. It's just no, no." But you know what? We're going to do a book signing at Borders, so why don't you come to it and harass us about it from the audience? So it's like, I will never not be able to talk to this man. That's what I realized at that point, because um, we both were, were both uh, angry about the same things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, God, the first thing that I actually did with for them, um, officially maybe... Um, well, the first thing I did for them was I went to KPFK mm-hmm. and just started digging around. Okay. And KPFK is where they were born, mm-hmm. basically, in 66. They just came on the air. All, they knew each other, and they all got on the air, and they improvised this night of uh, the uh, Radio Free Oz Film Festival, mm-hmm. where they were all playing avant-garde filmmakers who were playing their movies <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> 
and somebody i think i think phil austin was playing jack love a uh, son of a leather maker who and uh, f- maker of films for the living room theater like blondie pays the rent <laughs> Uh, and he, he played. He tried playing his film, and the management uh, Bergman came in at one point and says, uh, "The management is telling us that we do not, we we can't play this film. We're sorry. We're just going to have to stop playing this film." And people started calling in and demanding that they played the film. That's when they figured out, yeah, we're onto something here. These guys get the joke. We we are making the joke. This could this could be happening. So they kept doing stuff at KPFK. Um, some of which was still there, and I I started digging for that. Yeah. I mean, these guys got together for for disparate from disparate parts, but mm-hmm. all all of them worked at KPFK at one point. In fact, there's a great half hour one off thing called uh-huh. the Raspberry Show uh-huh. that Phil Austin did that only exists on one acetate. Uh-huh. Uh, we're gonna put that in the shop too. I won't I won't go into that. But that's one of those incredibly rare thing pre fire sign things that wow. is of of a piece with a bunch of fire sign stuff that would be great to get out there. Yeah, the actually it's funny just because. This was a period when sketch comedy and satire um, overlapped more, maybe, than they do now. And I'm not talking about, like, improv. If you go see improv, whatever's on the top of your head might be what's very much in the news. So maybe mm-hmm. satire becomes inherently a part of it. But sketch mm-hmm. s- sketch typically nowadays is not necessarily about satire, not necessarily about having a point. Like, they're trying to make a human point, tell a human story, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have a satirical edge to it, and it's just funny that, that by nature, that's the kind of stuff these guys were doing. Oh, yeah, especially Bergman. This mm-hmm. was a guy who, from the beginning, was always political. He was always, mm-hmm. he was always of a mind that he was part of the political process. In fact, he kind of backed off the satire like 10 years ago because he was working for somebody's campaign here in Los Angeles. So he didn't want to get involved. (laughs) What happened was we got the rights to... we're going way back now, listeners. Do you remember Talon News? A fake website that didn't actually have any journalists working for it. Um, and the the domain name came up for sale. Uh-huh. And one of the fire friends, uh, Brian Wesley, our uh, one of our webmasters, decided to buy it uh-huh. and completely fake people out with it. Just uh-huh. like continue on because they were going... Because what Talon News was pretending to be was a news organization... Which which actually turned out to be a conservative news, uh, a, a conservative pack front, ah. and so they decided to. We decided we were going to take the uh, the website and just keep going as if it, nothing had ever happened. Sure. And slowly, slowly turn completely deranged, <laughs> um, which we did over like a month. All these insane, different like uh, uh, headlines started going up. It didn't last very long, oh. but Peter didn't. He didn't want to contribute anything to it because he thought it might screw up his actual (laughs) political campaigns that's so funny it's just so weird i mean uh, that shocks me a little bit um uh, dude i'm sorry did we uh okay so we we listened to the, the we talked about the first thing that you listened to i mean do you is it possible to have a favorite work of theirs for you oh it changes for years it was for years it was dwarf just because it's such a perfect thing yes Um, that was my desert island disc Mm -hmm. um i love buzza so much Mm -hmm. um some of the some of the lesser heard stuff too like giant rat Uh what a lot of people don't know about giant rat was that they set themselves an incredibly difficult task when they started doing that which is all the sherlock holmes stories and all the sherlock holmes parodies to that point 
all had narration. Uh-huh. They were going to do one without it. Oh, wow. And doing that was incredibly, that took a lot of skill. Yeah. So that was just a problem they set for themselves. And one album later, they'd, they'd done it. Um, and it's a, it's a fucking hilarious album. Yeah. It's brilliant. Um, but I'm 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 into their goofy shit too, yeah. which is why I took so why I decided to take so much time to put together all those radio shows together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like all it's it's like the rule of improv that you always hear: if a line's funny, and you've captured it, if a performance is real, it's going to stay real, no matter how many times you listen to it. Right. And when they're on the radio and they're coming up with these ideas for the first time, they are making each other laugh because this is genuinely funny shit yeah i mean having having bergman describe what it was like listening to proctor do the uh one of the skits from dear friends um i was a cock teaser at roosterama and proctor's just going on and on about about how we whoa man they come up to you wow they get you with those tusks man but they're so good looking these creatures and Bergman describing him making that turn it would just kill him you these guys did not know what was going to happen next and they were delighted Austin was describing how that show was his tool for for using Bergman and the rest of the group as 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 tools for creating ideas and improv yeah he would show up and he would just wait for uh, the TNT to go off. Yeah. I guess it must be that love of just creating uh, and on the fly and being fluid that that somehow makes them want to condense it and make a perfect album out of it. Mm-hmm. But it, it is strange that something that technically perfect can come out of that kind of a personality. Yeah. For personalities like that. Yeah. They, they, um, they had a discipline and it would come out uh, when it was needed yeah. I mean they would have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of ideas and only one of those would make it through because they would all decide together yes that's the one that needs to survive yeah. and then they would thread it in in a way that made sense it was always about uh, the work who uh, and I uh, this is my ignorance showing but technically though as far as the editing and stuff who was the was, was there an outside is there a there was a producer mm-hmm. and he was really super helpful to them and I'm a terrible archivist because I cannot remember his name but he yeah yeah he was he was their engineer on I think the first three or maybe the first four albums mm-hmm. um, he got the joke mm-hmm. and when you got an engineer and he gets the joke uh, you're you're home free because he knows exactly what you're going for. Yeah. When they get to dwarf, suddenly you're in a you're in a place where nobody's ever been before, where you're writing a play and performing it, and there are cuts in there that are cuts across time and space. Yes. That are that are opposite ends of the same sentence, and you, you're you either get that or you're really really confused. And yes. fortunately, they glommed onto a really good engineer who got it and who um, who helped him out. Alright. He's going to be in here somewhere. It's yeah. going to be, yeah. So yeah, remember, yeah. remember when I said I had, oh, I've, I've got quite a few. I've got about five. So, <laughs> if, you do, if you don't count uh, this one back here yes, that, that, that is signed. Um, I really love the caricatures on the cover of Oh, that. yes. A, a shout out, please, to Robert Grossman, who was Bergman's um, roommate at Yale, uh-huh. and who 
made the 70s what they were thanks to his airbrush. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Grossman, the maker of the cover art for Dwarf. So I do have two copies of this. I think I grabbed that only because it was 50 cents, so I figured, well, if the other one sounds like shit, maybe this one sounds okay. Never don't buy a Firesign LP, that's what I say. Yeah, I, no. I was in a store today and bought one, just because <laughs> it was it was there. God, this is terrible. I'm reading the credits list on, on Dwarf, and I have not got this guy's name. I'm a terrible person. Nope. I'm sorry. It's fine. He's still around because he's a gentleman we should speak with. Um, no, he has left Son us. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Son of a bitch. That he's, bastard. Well, there was Bill Dremel. Bill Dremel was a big part of, of them getting this on record. Mm -hmm. And Bill, I think, unfortunately, has died. Damn um, it. Bill was a big reason why the Firesign Theater made this epically interesting product. Mm hmm. Um, side note, I, I was. Now. Uh, I, I just love that this is Phil Hartman. Oh, the cover of Fighting Clowns. Yes. yes. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know anything about the man's training. I just know that he was a fucking genius in, in way too many ways. Again, yeah, yeah. A polymath, like a lot of these guys um, were, are, are any of the guys in the group, do they have, I'm just curious, like other artistic signs we don't know about. Yeah. Um, well, Austin uh, was uh, an artist. I haven't seen any of his work recently, mm -hmm. but I know he had chops as as a drawer. Mm -hmm. um, Proctor is and was a collagist, really of, of major skill. He could have a uh, an exhibition at La Luz de Jesus if he really wanted one. Yeah, uh, most a lot of his collages ended up in the Duke of Madness book. Um, oh, okay, really, uh, really simple, surreal, funny stuff. Just uh, uh, and all cut out from like Life magazine and shit. Uh, just a soldier with a gun, and he's on top of a a, a generic shot of an apartment. Mm -hmm. It's just a nightmare image. It's yeah. just perfect. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, he was he was really good at that. He was doing that for the East Village Other for a while. Okay. Um, Bergman was interesting because I don't know if he actually ever wrote more than one piece of fiction himself. This is something I didn't know about him for a while and didn't really know much more about until I went through his entire archive. Mm -hmm. He had folders and folders full of drafts of science fiction novels. Really? Yeah. Wow. And the novels never came. Ugh. I just don't know if he... Well, he, 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 never, he never got it together to make it, but I didn't, I didn't ever ask him why. Yeah. So I don't know. Wow. That's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah I mean, that's one of those things that I... That you, again, as an archivist or having the mind of one at the very least, uh, that you become fascinated by. You want to find these rare things, but at the same time, you're like, well, what, what can be done, and should anything be done with this? Or mm -hmm. does, it, does it remain a piece that no one gets to see? Yeah, I'm fortunate yeah. I got to glance across, but maybe that's none of my business. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I and, and one of Austin, one of Osmond's uh, talents is also uh, as as a as a visual artist, mm -hmm. and it all makes sense that they had all these other talents because when you um, I'm convinced that the best improvisers have really active visual imagination. Mm -hmm. Just once you've got that and once it's tied into the verbal, suddenly you the picture comes to you and then all you do is describe it for everybody. Yeah. And yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> and it's like one of the lines on one of the things we're going to talk about is the is uh Harry Shearer and and the the team on uh credibility gaps album floats he's just off the top of his head he'll say oh this year they decided to fill Gary Coleman with gas and he's <laughs> flying high above us here. Yes. 
it just was in his head uh -huh. here come the words yeah and that's once you got that hooked up you're you're all set yeah so these guys were very visually strong yeah. all of them yeah i and i kind of think you have to have ocd for that to pop into your head out of mm -hmm. nowhere mm -hmm. you know what i mean uh at the very least that's that's my ocd normally works in awful 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 ways and the things i have to describe when i say have to i mean have to or i will die describe are, are disgusting uh, horrible that's why my other podcasts exist so my best friend and i can say horrible horrible things to one another just at the end and say by the way that was all ironic please understand but like it has to come out yes that's how my ocd works um so let let's let's get to it then let, let's get yeah to yeah this album. let's get to the credibility gap which uh, i've never been 35 minutes into a recording and then now we <laughs> introduced <laughs> the album but I, I didn't get to finish it obviously you heard me listening to it as you came up but well you're gonna you're gonna die when you hear the rest of it this is well you heard um this this blasts forward in the first three minutes of the album in a way that is is <laughs> it, this kills everybody mm -hmm. who hears it for the first time because the premise of the album is um the credibility gap, these four guys, uh, not including Richard Beebe, one of the founding members who never came to any of these Rose Parade mm. commentaries, as far as I know, they started on the radio, and as part of their radio gig, they would go down to Pasadena every New Year's Day for maybe 10 years running, and they would just get a get a spot at a table for the with the press mm -hmm. and do a live running commentary. And this is a compilation that Harry Shearer made um, in 1979, uh, as part of a reissue of one of their earlier albums with a Pasadena label called Sierra Briar. And this was the bonus album. It's called Floats. And it's all taken directly from air checks um, from their commentaries. And if you have any question about what this is going to be, uh, whether it's going to be uh, respectful or allay any surrealism, <laughs> those those thoughts are dashed. About two minutes into the LP, when uh, after you get through the theme song, oh, it's the Rose Parade. The crowd is excited, the Rose Parade. And you weren't invited, so sit in your chair. Just listen and stare. There's nothing else to do, so here's the Rose Parade. And then you go directly from that to just you know some commentary. We're here, it's happening, and... Um, now it's time for a little uh, mini documentary, and the um, the documentary follows. The music is, I'm convinced, from the sorrow and the pity. <laughs> it, grim clouds of foreboding hung over the San Gabriel Valley, and it goes on and on. It is so brilliant. That slaughtered it slaughtered me. It kills me. That slaughtered me. And the whole album is is much in the same vein. It's the rest of the of the of the Rose Parade commentaries. Um, uh, turned upside down and cut into small pieces. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's an interview with Rabbi Korf. Uh, a little, it's getting a little topical in the '70s, but they've just—it's right after Nixon's resigned, and they—they corner Rabbi Korf in San Clemente and talk. And Rabbi Korf tells about how he, Nixon's upstairs, very hopefully watching the Rose Parade, hoping that he'll get asked to do this next year. <laughs> He believes it is his duty. Um, oh my god, the whole it's it's just goofy, mm -hmm. and the rest of the credibility gap canon is really good too. But sure. I've always gravitated to this because of the same reason I'm into fire sign is because these guys half of this is pre-made, but half of it they're making up as they go, and it's right. as funny then as 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 it is now. Yeah, just listening to Michael McKean and David David L. Lander go at it. Um, David, David was the funny voices guy, and mm -hmm. Michael McKeon, 
was and is strongly musical yeah and also did a lot of great voices and harry is uh he's just flint rock he's coming up with oh here comes a float that's uh designed after the uh calcium propionate to retard spoilage <laughs> these things will come into his head and they'll fly right out you and it will be kill them too <laughs> yes <laughs> they're on the floor they're all listening to each other and um they're uh they're having a good time and doing some bizarre things yeah i i can't i i guess it's it's one of those things where um Podcasting is meeting more of a need of comedians than it is of an audience. Luckily, there are plenty of audiences who want to listen to it, right? But yeah. there's that shit you have to get out, which explains why Harry Shearer, up until very recently, still had a radio show. Mm-hmm. You know, he had stuff to get out one way or the other, and this was the best way to express it. Um, I hope, you know, it'd be nice if he moved into podcasting. That's if he wants to be. Well, I mean, he still, he still has a show. It's just moved on to... Uh if you're in LA, it's very hard to actually hear it on the radio. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. so you can he hear it the, as a podcast. Moved. Okay, okay. It's, pre- it's pretty much he's he's been he he has sort of been kicked off the radio. Yeah. I mean, KSCN is on the radio, but for the most of the world, he's he's like FMU. Um, mm-hmm. You're if you're a fan, it's probably because you're listening on the internet. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Um, and I, I just it, it is funny that then the outlet for guys like this was a full length vinyl album yeah you know what i mean uh which is again i don't want to harp on the whole idea that it's it's much more ethereal now because you can release a new thing each week a new hour and a half for some of these shows yeah yeah two and a half hours of repeat homes or three hours if you have james adomi on the show. yes right 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 that's absolutely true that is true um so it's less precious maybe that's a good thing and it helps people find their comedy better but i it would be nice for the art of the the album to come back a little bit beyond just an hour of stand-up yeah yeah it's a difficult question because floats probably didn't actually deserve to exist as an album it's all recordings of air checks and they sound they sound exactly as good as you'd expect an air check to sound like Uh uh, (laughs) and and a podcast is the same thing it's ephemeral it's people sitting around on a fucking couch and talking about Mm -hmm. shit for 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 hours um it's if it's the 70s the only way you get to hear these things is if you hear them live or if you trade tapes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh whereas now it's it's expected to be the kind of product that is now competing with other podcast product there's so much of it that there's a review topic dedicated only to it at the onion yeah av club um there's a lot of it now so it's expected to stay ephemeral by the way, somebody should tell the AV Club that we exist. Just a heads up. Um, yes, please. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> do you... I mean, I know you do still collect vinyl. Are you, and again, as you just said, you'll just buy a Firesign album if it's in front of you. Is it... Is there specific... Are there some specific things that you're looking for right now that you've never seen or held? Just of anybody. Oh, that's a good question. Um, yes. One thing is still at the top of my list right now, which is um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore... And this isn't confusing at all. Mm-hmm. There was one album they did in 65 called Not Only But Also. And okay. then there was an album from 1969 or 70 that was also called Not Only But Also. And the second one is very hard to get your hands so on. So it's not a re-release. It's an entirely No, it's an album. entirely different thing. Wow. It's like the first album was called Not Only Peter Cook, but also Dudley Moore. Okay. But everybody who's selling it online is just calling it not only but also, so you can't you cannot find it. Oh boy, um, that's that's a vinyl thing that I would love to get my hands on. Yeah. I'm delighted to report that I just got my hands on something that I was looking for for a long time, which was Diane McGregor, uh, the Dream World of Diane McGregor. 
I really parentheses he talks in his sleep after you told me about that that's amazing yeah it's some crazy good stuff it's um it's of the riffing school mm-hmm. these are these are riffs and he was genuinely dreaming and, and sleep talking them um uh he was recorded by his roommate um and they first became a deca lp in like 1964 uh with uh cover art by edward gory which made so it amazing. crazy rare and hard to get mm-hmm. um and I, I finally scored a copy, and I can't, I can't listen to it. It's so scratched up. That's too bad. It's completely fucked. But there are, there are MP3s out there, so you can get it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I got it, and I'm restoring the cover art. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's uh, that's a challenge <coughs> in and of itself. I mean, you, uh, wh- where's your? Okay, so let's talk about this too, because uh, let's talk about the re- restoration. I know we only talked about this album for a minute. We'll come back to it. <laughs> but you do restore a lot of albums. Yeah, yeah. But you do it for the love of it. You do it out of yeah. your own pocket. Uh, I mean, you were kind enough to send me uh, what six of them? What, yeah, yeah, six that you worked your ass off to make. So uh, they des- it, this deserves to be talked about specifically. You know, you floats. You went and restored. Um, why do you do it? I know why you do it. <laughs> um, realistically, the bottom of it, I, it's because I like it and because I know it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, which fortunately I discovered once I actually started producing real things, I realized, well, fuck, half the industry is doing this anyway. Yeah. Real quotes with, with air quotes reissues are quite often scanned directly from old cover art. Yeah. Um, that's something I realized when I brought when I bought Brute Force. Uh-huh. Brute Force is this guy who had this hard comic song styling. Uh, uh, he had an LP called I Brute Force, Confections of Love. <laughs> the cover is him standing in the quarry uh, holding up uh, a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> it's, it's utterly brilliant. And, and, and in, back in the day, back in 70, you, if you were hip, you had it. But yeah. nobody, nobody knows about it now. Okay. But it's on CD now. And when you buy the CD, one of the things you'll notice is that they have just grabbed the back art of the of the LP and they've done like a Gaussian blur on oh, it. Oh, yeah. And um, that just, that, had, that was a little moment of realization for me. Like, hmm, I either, I have the same resources as these labels have and they've only got a cover. Right. Or <laughs> they can't be bothered. Yes. Yes. Uh, and either of those things can be true. Yeah. Do you, what was the first one that you restored? Um, and how long did it take you, actually? Probably How to Speak Hip. Um, I found a copy of How to Speak Hip years ago and uh, just digitized it because I was, I was interested. Mm-hmm. It was something I'd heard about for years and years and years, and I thought, well, of God, I'll never find it. Sure. And then I, I found it, which is a completely different story, uh, mm-hmm. which I told you about Carlos Hagen, a brilliant archivist, uh, now deceased, who lived in Malibu, who needs a book written about him. But anyway, like um, Carlos was a dude who had a magnificent record collection and allowed me to trade with some things for him. Uh, and he had not just one, but like four copies of How to Speak Hip. And How to Speak Hip came out in two different editions with two different covers. Oh, yeah. So I, I because, again, because I was interested, I scanned the covers, cleaned them up, both of them. Um, and How to Speak Hip is a little more elaborate because it, the original version had a hip dictionary. And it's it's a classic album. If you have not heard it, you need to, because it's not just funny. It's all completely accurate yeah. as to how hip was conceived and perceived in those days. I cleaned it up. I transferred the 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 um, the vinyl, and then I got an email from somebody at Cherry Red Records in the UK, mm-hmm. and they said, "Can we just have a copy of that? You know, for reference." 
<laughs> and I sent him my cleaned up art and I sent him the cleaned up audio. And that is what is on the CD now that you can buy from Amazon, which is okay because mm -hmm. they credited me and it's mm -hmm. nice. It's good. It's all pretty much accurate. Uh -huh. But in the intervening time, I have made myself a cleaner copy of, of the vinyl. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's great that it's back out there. How but long? it's like this process never ends. How long did that take you to do the first one? Um, too long. <laughs> I've learned a lot of good tri tricks and, since, and yeah. tips since then. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll I'll keep doing it. I'll I'm more interested in in throwing lots and lots of time at something if I'm convinced it's possible no one's ever going to find the original art. Right. Because right. a lot of times that is the case. Like I said, there's a, there's something in the Firesense archive that only uses on one acetate. Yeah. You transfer it very carefully once, and, and that's gone. it. Oof. So some some LPs are are unfortunately going to be more and more like that. Yeah. Oh God, just the, just the my brain immediately puts on white cotton gloves when I hear things like yes. that. You know, it's just like holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to remind you of the responsibility of that. Oh, um, God. But. <laughs> But um, so okay, so then, how how many total of these have you done? Did I already ask you that? Oh gosh, um, well I had a thing going where I was convinced for like a decade that these were going to make good CDs at some point, so mm -hmm. I was like making them as as CD packages. Yeah, um, not anymore. But there are at least maybe seventy five things in my collection that um, are worth listening to that I that are worth restoring and that are out of print. Yeah. And so I put them up on my blog, um, taylorjessen.blogspot.com, and they are, all the audio is restored, mm -hmm. all the art is cleaned up, um, and all the text has been reset in the original fonts, because I'm a madman. I was just going to say, thank you. At least I'm you recognize your I, I, I'm interested enough, and I'm also convinced that uh, these need to exist in a way that they're going to they're gonna bounce around the internet forever anyway. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And if I were uh, a collector who was never going to be able to get my hands on the original object, yeah. this is what I would want for reference. Right. So I'm just, I'm slapping them up there. This is, it's the... Uh, the sort of adventure of going to a record shop and flipping through and finding something that you either never thought you'd never heard of or you never thought you would ever see in your life, uh, obviously becoming less and less of a possible experience for people as there are fewer and fewer record shops. Um, true, true. Um, but being able to make that available on the internet where that's even, this is stuff you're not going to even find on YouTube. Oh yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean. Although yeah. technically you could put them up on YouTube because people like yeah, because because the robots aren't looking for those things. Yes, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I that's that's a lot of fun sometimes. Um, do you again is do you, do you feel a compulsion like you have to do this or are you? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. It is yeah. kind of it's even if it's, it's kind not, of OCD, but it's not. You're right, exactly. But it's not like because these things are. If the argument could be made, and I'm on the opposite end of this, the opposite side of this argument, argument could be made. Well, if people don't remember it, then it wasn't worth remembering. I don't believe that. Obviously, that's it's it's very uh, easy to to fall into that. Yeah, and sometimes it's really really true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something up on the blog right now, and it's called "Space is so startling." Uh huh. And I only knew about this because it's something I've been looking for for a really long time. Because uh -huh. back when I was trying to uh, do the Dear Friends shows. Um, because they were so full of record samples, 
um, I wanted to figure out what all the records were. Yeah. Because there's some goddamn good stuff in there, too. There's sure. some really good R&B, but there's also some stuff there. I'm just, what the fuck is uh-huh. that? <laughs> this, is a, this is an LP of Japanese children's songs done in easy listening style. What's going on? <laughs> and a lot of it I'm never going to find, but a lot of it turned out to be really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of it turned out to be this thing called Space is So Startling. And... Um, don't ever look for this in your life. It's horrible. Uh, it was put. It's it's a record where there are barely characters, uh-huh. and there are barely memorable songs, and it's full of all of that for about an hour. And you, by the time it's done, you wish you were dead. It was it, the story of the making of it is more interesting because it's all just a piece of propaganda for uh, the uh, some kind of religious power movement. Really, a pack, a post World War Two. Protestant political action committee sort of paid for this LP to happen. <laughs> okay. So that didn't... I, I scanned the cover and called it a day. That I don't yeah. care about. Okay. I don't care about making that... But you wanted perfect. to make it available. Yes. It's so important. It's, it's... I bought it, so no one else has to. <laughs> but you still put it out there so other people can be tortured. Mm-hmm. I guess you have to. If yeah. You, if you've been tortured, you need to pass that on to other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we're living in a Google world, and Google is this thing, this giant robot, which will help you find uh, things thanks to data that people put into it. Yeah. So that's part of what I'm doing is I'm just filling my corner of the internet with uh, with some more good, useful data. Here in Southern California, not every parade watcher is on Colorado Boulevard. Many a parade fan is gathered around a television set, not to mention our disabled citizens. 87-year-old Fred Gadaver has been in a wheelchair ever since he was born. Today, in the San Gabriel Rest Home, he's enjoying his 85th consecutive Rose Parade sitting down. Fred, how would you compare this year's parade to all those others you've seen? Uh, it's good. Hmm. Well, the parade certainly has changed, though, hasn't it, since its early days? Oh, yes. Yeah, well, it used to be in black and white, and then a few years ago, the fella came by here and installed the new parade. Now, you've never been able to uh, actually... Stand uh, up. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm not laughing. It's no big joke for me. What I mean is you've never attended a Rose Parade in person, have you? Uh, no. Well, it used to be on the radio. You couldn't see it. Uh, that was an old setup they had. I think the Dumont Network had just moved out, and they put the transmitter uh, up on the hill. Of course, this was when I was younger, you understand. <laughs> I wasn't born this old. <laughs> I had no legs on me, but I was your age when I was born. Are there... Have you ever... <laughs> have you ever just straight up passed something up where you're like, well, this looks really curious and interesting, but I don't have the time to process it? Because I've done that. I did that today. What did I I do that with? Um, Yeah, I can't even remember what this is. Um, It's got... uh, No, I have no details about this whatsoever. It looks like it was made in... It's an LP. It looks like from the early... 60s mm-hmm. uh the uh the original score to an off-broadway play okay and it's got uh siegel who was in the hot rock um hell what was his name see this is totally uh, <laughs> it's, it's all right i could it's i could a- look him up right away but it's just what another of hundreds of of pretty moderately good production values comedy records uh-huh. from the early 60s and I was looking at it and it looked really clean and I had no idea what it was mm-hmm. 
and I left it there. You I just, just I, I don't have the processing <laughs> power for it. I, 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 do you but I ever... bought the Ace Trucking Company. I saw that for the first time today. Oh, really? Yeah, Fred Willard's first group. That's amazing. Yeah, so I'm going to listen to that oh at some point. I thought that was, that's that's interesting enough that um, I, that could be fun. That's a guy I desperately want on my podcast. Completely underrated because that he's so be goofy good. funny. Oh, yeah. People don't realize his history and where he's been. People don't get that. They just think really he's a funny character. I really hope you get him because I want to hear him, you know, talk about his life. Yes, me too. Not just his recent life, no. but his whole no. his whole career. He's mind blowing and underrated, and I think he he doesn't care. He just seems to be like, oh no, I'm living life. I'm I do theater all the time. He just seems like the most chill son of a bitch. Like I just don't get it. Like I, it's fine, it's fine. But you kind of are a living legend, and I mean, you were <laughs> there at the beginnings of improv comedy. But whatever, you know. <laughs> Whatevs, you know. It's, it's, do you ever get interested in the ephemera, like the weird shit? Like here, here's something that I only bought because it was 50 cents, okay? And I apologize, we're not talking about floats yet, just still, but uh, we'll talk about this. But like, where the hell did it go? It, it's something that probably a million trillion people have. Oh yeah, yeah, we something see that. We see this. We see this a lot. This yeah. is. Uh, this ends up in these spoken bins, mm -hmm. and it's got a nice red background picture of JFK. Yeah. Are we thinking before or after his assassination? <laughs> Okay, Memorial Album. Here we go. It's like the picture of the album. Um, yes, Memorial. Memorial. This mm -hmm. would be post. Yep. So, yeah, this this is in every spoken so word bin. Everywhere. Common, it's everywhere. It, almost as common as, well, probably more common than the first family, which everybody owns. Mm -hmm. Everybody. You know what I did? That I, I did that exact thing with. Um, I was before I was in LA. I was living in Boise, and what you would see in every bin, no matter where you went, was a copy of Woody Woodbury. Yes, uh, Laughing Room Only. I think I might have that one. And then finally, one day, I had to buy it just to <laughs> see what the fuck it was. And I've it never was, listened to it. It was not that good. Oh no! Okay, no. I, had a, I had a slight feeling just going off the cover. Kind but. of a semi rube perf uh, character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, off color jokes, and that was it. Yeah. I because I, I the one that I found that I never bought was just a straight up like clearly at one point you could buy a boilerplate not this but it was the moon landing and you could on the back put your own promotion and this guy was running for local local office and he was putting out things of the moon landing I'm like what, how were you responsible for the moon landing? no <laughs> nope here's this awesome here's like the moon landing stuff and here's my name on the back don't forget to vote for me mind blowing I didn't want to spend eight bucks on it though so I'm just like this is cool I know it exists but that's the weird thing about records there are some records the story is better than the record yes exactly and you, you have to decide am I willing to pay eight bucks for this story yeah yeah I thought yeah, about looking yeah. the guy up too in case you're still alive and then ask him what what made you think this is a good idea that sounds like something here's another thing that everybody should should in this world should have uh free plug for the makers of the uh coffee table book enjoy the experience uh -huh. have you seen this mm -mm. it is uh 300 plus pages of nothing but uh stories and photos about private press lps in the united states really yeah from the 50s to the 90s see those are the things that i know nothing about because i don't want to know because they're so rare yeah it yeah. will upset me that i can't have this in this yeah, yeah 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 because fortunately a lot of this has been uh you know poured over and there are their mp3 copies that you can get oh, that's some nice. of the some of the um some 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 of the really well traveled well well correct, collected stuff, mm -hmm. but insane things too. Like there's a two page spread all about a record that literally was not produced. You buy it, you crack it open, you play it, and there's like a minute of blank leader between each song. Whoa. 
and there are three songs on one side, four songs on the other side. That's it. The, the person singing is sounds clinically insane. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It was made as a tax write-off, just <laughs> just to have things in boxes in a storage facility. Oh my god. Oh my god. The person on the record literally never knew the record was ever made. Wow. It's in. It's, Did they ever it's, find out? I don't know. I can't remember. Person? Oh my god. That's fucking mind blowing. Yeah. The whole the whole book is full of stories like that. So it's crazy. Um, <laughs> it's crazy good reading. All right. I I will have I will have to get that. Thank you, fellas, and hello again, everybody. This is Dave Swartz speaking of sports. And on every January 1st of every New Year's time, there's only one sport to speak of, and that's football. Or should it on New Year's Day be footballs? Item, history in the making department. Let's remember some of those great Rose Bowls past. 1927. 1934, 1948, and 1958. I could go on and on, but let's flash back up to now. UCLA versus Ohio State, the game the experts said couldn't happen here. But like Hitler's Germany, the game is just hours away. Item, Inside Scoop Stuff, Radio Edition. Sometimes even I amaze myself. Your reporter has obtained exclusively a hotline phone number to Ohio State football coach Woody, not so Gabby Hayes. While he plays possum for the sports establishment, he's being a pussycat at the other end of my Dave Swartz exclusive phone. Um, all right, let's go back to the album. Let's go back I to apologize. the apologize. Let's talk about like your. I apologize for the credibility gap. No, 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 right. <coughs> um, like, what's your favorite stuff on the album? Because again, I didn't get to finish it. What, why does it cuz it is like you said the 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 original quality is air check they're air check so it's 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 hard listening if you if you really want something smooth and polished mm-hmm. the comedy's still just fucking fascinating and yeah. mind blowing well it's you're ways. hanging out it's you're hanging out with the guys mm-hmm. like with any mm-hmm. good radio show you're just you're listening in on these guys trying to make each other laugh yeah that's what i love the most about this yeah uh, there's some really good pre-produced skits in there like there's oh, yeah. a diary of a queen uh-huh. and this is what blew my mind because as i told you at lunch my first job when i moved to, to burbank was at a bookstore in burbank called movie world mm-hmm. and movie world is a fufara of miscellany uh, you will walk in and you will see stuff that you will never see again, and neither will the people who work there. But it's 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 an old magazine shop. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the studios go there for old magazines for props. Okay. Um, and I was digging around one day, and I saw these Rose Parade souvenir programs. And I already knew about the Floats album uh, before I saw these programs, and I thought, hmm, interesting. One of the skits on Floats is called Diary of a Queen. Mm-hmm. Half of the lines are from Diane Jane Raymaker <laughs> and you can see her entire diary in the 1977 issue of the program oh and God. Harry is because Harry is obsessed with beauty passions anyway uh-huh. always has been every year on the show he would just he'd put <laughs> endless lifted quotes from actual beauty contestant answers into the show <laughs> without commentary and he didn't need to yeah. it was just is what the fuck kind of institution is this in America? What is happening? And Diary, Diary Queen is exactly like that. He will take quotes verbatim from her diary and then just add a line of his own. At one point he says, um, he goes into her voice and the first line is hers and the last line is his. Scrapbooks of previous parades help us alleviate the tension. I mean, these girls survived. Why can't we? I mean, who dies in a parade? <laughs> 
it's um it's it's these guys playing around with radio and playing around with this extremely kitschy weird institution mm-hmm. and uh actually do they they did a lot of proper research about it and now yeah. once you hear this lp you're going to understand more about this parade than you probably did before yeah um even the fake documentary that opens the album has <laughs> got some real information in it yeah um but it's just it's goofy and it's them hanging out and it it always makes me laugh. Yeah. Um, let's. So when was the? Okay, so did we establish when you first heard the credibility? Um, in college. In college. Uh, okay. Same oh, time from I sent. Yeah, same time I discovered Firesign. I was okay. just moving my way alphabetically down the awesome. down the shelf. Credibility gap. Firesign theater. And the rest of the credibility gaps uh, work is is alternately brilliant yeah. and not heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's. A little weird to put Credibility Gap in a bucket because they were two different things. Mm-hmm. The first album was called an album of political pornography, ah, yeah. and it was very specific to the summer of '68. Okay. It's all about the asteroid Icarus and the assassination of of RFK and um, LBJ protests, mm-hmm. and it's it's a different crew. Everybody yeah. except Richard Beebe uh, never appeared on any of the other albums. Okay. And then Harry Shearer and David Lander and Michael McKean show up, and their first album is The Credibility Gap was for Capital, and it was called Woodstick. Yes, I have. And it was somewhere. 72, 71. Mm-hmm. It was after Firesign Theater had already put out four albums, and you can tell they are really trying to get on the vibe yeah. of the Firesign Theater album. The whole Have you have you heard the, the album? I've listened album? to the first half of it. I have it somewhere. Side one is really good. Yeah, it's the the title piece. It's Woodstick, and it's like Wood. It's as if Woodstock was a Catskills comedy festival, <laughs> and it's really brilliant. Don't uh, don't eat the brown acid becomes um, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> but they're all they're all stuck in in a, in a single hotel room. All these all these comedians, one hotel room. It's a free comedy festival. It's a free festival. Um. And then side two, they try and do a sort of darker fire sign-ish thing called Ear Witness News. Mm, okay. And it doesn't quite work, but it's got some good smaller bits in it. Yeah. So that didn't really pan out. Rolling Stone hated it. Um, but they moved to Warner Brothers and they put out another LP called uh, A Great Gift Idea, mm-hmm. which will kill you. It is so good. <laughs> a Date with Danger! Is this eight-minute piece that is done in the format of a uh, an educational, you know, eight uh, sixteen mil film that you'd see in sixth grade, and it'll it'll knock you flat. It'll kill you. Um, you know, some of this feels topical, but it will it it will still it, it still just rings the bell. Yeah, it is so good. I mean, that doesn't seem to hurt this. What I got to listen to of floats doesn't seem to be hurt by anything mm-hmm. too um, period specific. It's mostly just general and again the the satire the satire is what keeps it afloat mm-hmm. as it were i apologize for that that was an accident i just looked at the word float and i said my brain did that i hear what you did there yeah thank you i'm glad you heard it um actually you know it's funny you say that, the, the the idea of an eight minute track seems to be the antithesis of, of what you're supposed to do online at least with a video you know they're always like do two minutes and under two minutes and under i remember early on working with some website like well you have any ideas i'm like yeah they're like yeah well they need to be two minutes and under i'm like i can do very little in two minutes but okay but on a comedy album you had the freedom to just keep going. Yeah, yeah. You gotta. You, sometimes you just gotta stretch it out. Yeah. And they were good at the real short pieces too. The the, mm-hmm. the piece that opens side two is like uh, I think it's called sixteen golden bits, and it's mm-hmm. very short. And it's all it's it's a fake ad mm-hmm. uh, about 
the laugh makers who are all imitating uh, and reproducing and doing cover versions of famous skits from other people's comedy albums. Mm -hmm. um, and it's over and done in like 90 seconds. It's, it's, That's fucking awesome. It's brilliant. That's so good. Um, but the whole album is great. Um, a black exploitation Martin Luther King parody called oh. Kingpin. Uh, <laughs> Lance learns to box, which is just a skit of uh, a little domestic skit about Lance and how he has to learn to box. And no, he's a mathlete, but no, he has to learn to box anyway. Um, and I think that album is the one that ends with Where's Johnny, which is like a 14 minute piece. And it's about the Johnny Carson show. Who in their right mind in 1973 does comedy about Carson? Yeah. Well, guess what? They had a damn good reason to, because yeah. this was all about all the all the horrible establishment um uh, assumptions that went into the making of the Johnny Carson show, yeah. and all the really epically bad karma that he that that Johnny would uh, would would get from and to his guests, yeah. things that he would things that just uh, uh, un PC or just really un basically unfriendly, uh -huh. just people a comedy group calling Johnny on what they were considering his sins at that point, yeah, like he. He the point the 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 meat of the skit is that they've got a a gay marine on mm -hmm. and he's talking about um, uh, discrimination in in the armed forces and they they have another guest who sits on the couch next to him and he's uh, uh, an obviously closeted writer who's written a book called Island of Fire about the dreaded homosexual oh, God. called Island of Fire because they are on fire in their brains all the time <laughs> and also not coincidentally they also all live on Fire Island <laughs> so just calling oh, calling God. calling Johnny on all of this shit yeah, yeah. Um, nobody else did that That's in the crazy. 70s crazy Grim clouds of foreboding hovered over the San Gabriel Valley in the year of 1890. Two stock market panics had already gripped the country in the preceding quarter century, as Churchill once observed, perhaps the most painful place to be gripped. Two men huddled in the turret of a small U-boat moored to the corner of Fair Oaks Avenue and Colorado Boulevard in a community wracked by anonymity which some called Pasadena. The men were Charles Holder and R.K. Rollin, they had conceived an ingenious plan whereby people would be compelled to pass down the middle of the boulevard in great number, riding upon flowered vehicles. Due to their superior organization, spearheaded by the Rose Marshals, the so-called Pink Shirts, the Rollin Holder plan, codenamed Tournament of Roses, soon let loose a prairie fire of good feeling. In a hundred guarded offices, behind 78 closed doors, the plenipotentiaries of a score of neighboring municipalities hung their heads. Then, suddenly, pooch. With the speed of a twin razor blade, the Tournament of Roses operation had outflanked the rapidly dwindling forces of the underground, the so-called undershirts. In the mid-1920s, Foreign states and nations began sending emissaries in the form of flowered vehicles to pay court to this new world power. That's gutsy. That's yeah, gutsy now. Yeah, uh, you couldn't. He's too much of an institution. I mean, it's like you. It's like you're saying these are these are they're they're comic guys, but they're also strongly satirical. If they yeah. see something that makes them unhappy, they're going to go after it. And at the end of the day, it's not like 
okay, here's the deal. Harry Shearer is a rich man, and he's and he's great, but at the same time, he's not a star. You're not going to look at Harry Shearer and say that he's a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, even among people of his generation, you wouldn't call him a star. If you know comedy and you've got a brain, you know that he's a genius. Um, I just wonder if you, you know, if he... They were willing to pay for it. They were willing to pay for their, their you know, tearing people down. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah. It's gutsy as hell. Oh. Well, I mean, and there's another half of it, too, which is if you're going to go into TV, you need a face. And mm-hmm. I don't know if... That's true. Let's be honest. Harry would probably be the first guy to tell you he didn't have the face. Yeah. Right. For, for big TV success. Sure. Michael McKeon. Yeah. Awesome, awesome looking guy. He's obviously been a uh, success as an actor. Yeah. Um, and yet today he's not known so much for, not for his comedy songs, definitely. No, I mean, right. He, he's won, uh, he's kind of won an Oscar for one of them, but you don't know about the whole rest of his catalog that he's got that he hasn't been, because he, he doesn't perform a lot in front of people. He's right. got this huge back catalog of stuff. Yeah. And... David Allander uh, is still active as a voice guy. Yeah, um, and he wrote he wrote a book which I need to read um, about his uh, his health problems. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Richard Beebe, I'm not sure what happened to him, but these guys didn't uh, didn't really have a movie career in front of them. Right, right. It's it it just it it is interesting because satire was a lot. It was a risk. Uh, it's easier now when you don't like as people say TV show you can go on as many TV shows as you want it's not going to make your career instantly mm-hmm. Drew Carey's career was made because he was on The Tonight Show and got called over to the couch yep. that was it yep. next day he was getting calls mm-hmm. doesn't happen anymore there's less risk if you were to do that kind of thing now you know you can you can be uh, you know you can be a satirist and it's you're going to pay for it less I guess which maybe explains why people maybe think they're satirists more often than they actually are yeah, you know? <laughs> that's really true. I don't know why that is, but that's true. Yeah, you can certainly maybe you're more expected to do that these days. Yes, yeah. yeah. Which and this is a, this is a more I don't know. This probably isn't has nothing to do with it, but this is a, you're expected to be more surreal and more punched out mm-hmm. now. Yeah. This is the only these last two decades are the only two decades when Adult Swim could exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hardcore surrealism, and it's just expected to be a little more shocking than comedy that you've seen before. Right. So satire is part of that. Which is hard. That's why a lot of the shit that I write is still like, nah, it's still going to be what I find funny if it happens to be surreal. Great. But I mean, most of the shit I write is like, oh, that's, that sounds like a Monty Python sketch. Sketch. Well, it basically is. I don't, but I don't care. You know? I mean, I it's, I don't know. It, it, it's, it makes you sweat thinking about how hard you have to work to, to, be, to catch up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it makes no sense. It's okay to evolve with that stuff, but to do it because it's a thing is is, is very frustrating. Yeah. To to but um, and I should mention the Credibility Gap did one more album, which everybody should seek out, which is called The Bronze Age of Radio. Oh yeah, I think which, I heard that one too. Yeah, yeah, it came out in 1977. If you see it, it's on CD. Now. Is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, again, brilliant, and it's all radio stuff that they did. Yeah. Um, uh, Great stuff that'll just knock knock you out. Yeah. Their their who's on first is a classic. Oh gosh, are are you familiar with this I one? I have not. It's a record promoter talking to a journalist, and uh, they're trying to place an ad. And the promoter, uh, it's uh, it's who, who? Great, yeah. Who's playing? Who? We're just gonna have three super groups. So who? Who? Yeah. Who? Who? And it, and I'm not gonna. Should I ruin it or not? It's who. Guess who and yes. Oh my god. 
imagine the who's on first get and it's it's those two characters and they're trying to place an ad for who guess who and yes and it's genius it's just exactly as good as you imagine it would be that's awesome and uh the whole album is great yeah well and that's one of those things too where if uh, (coughs) if you're doing satire people don't expect expect it it's sometimes some point you have to sort of mix it up and do that Mm -hmm. i'm gonna redo an old sketch it's, it's a brilliant old sketch, but I'm going to do it as, as well as I possibly can. Like, it was the same reason the Smothers Brothers, when they came back, they did a special, in the, I think, in the 80s on CBS, and they said, why don't you guys be rebellious? And they said, no. No, thanks. <laughs> no. That's their way of rebellion, uh, rebelling, which is, that's that's a comedian's stock and trade, you mm-hmm. know? They're like, well, nah, you want me to do that? I'm not going to do it. We're just, we're just, it's ridiculous. <sighs> Comedy people. They're impossible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will agree. Ask my wife. Actually, ask my wife. She will agree with that, too. Um, Taylor, this has been awesome. And you have to come back. I would be delighted to. Uh, it has been awesome. I feel like you've pitched uh, floats to people enough that they, they know why to listen to I it. hope so. Everybody should listen to floats. It's going to be harder to find. Or uh, I don't want to tell people to go to my blog and steal it, but at the same time, go to my blog and steal it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the things that are on my blog maybe will get CD reissues someday. Maybe the fact that they're up there will lead to CD reissues. be nice. But I just really want people to be able to, to hear them. Yeah. Um, and I sort of I, I feel bad about giving them away, but at the same time, a lot of this stuff is just locked up in the vaults of major labels who uh, the sin that they are committing the sin they're perpetrating against these records is not liking them or not liking them it's simply refusing to think about them yeah it's the fact that they are stuck in a vault in iron mountain and it's too expensive for them to go and find them so i say fuck them <laughs> here here they are um and some of this stuff is re-release worthy yeah. Right away, the yeah. ducks, the duck, ducks breath mystery theater stuff. I want that on a CD right now. Yeah, a lot of this stuff I want clean copies of it, and I'm not saying it's impossible because I I'm working with some people who do proper reissues. I'm uh, I I know uh, I'm working with Noah Uman, who was a, a DJ at F- FMU, mm-hmm. who has just recently put out a killer CD reissue of Medium is the Massage. Uh huh. Which is, is oh god, it's so fun. It's just, uh, it's a riff. It's it's mind jazz. It's uh-huh. idea jazz uh-huh. uh, for an hour. Um, it's brilliant. Uh, Marshall McLuhan, and it came out in '67, I think. Okay, and he legitimately got it reissued with the original art and from the original master, so That's it can be done. Awesome! Wow. Well, I I'm just happy that you're doing this uh, and putting so much love into it, though. That's the one thing people need to appreciate when they go to your website. Uh, not that you're supposed to go to his website, but go to his website. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just appreciate all the work that's been put into them, um, except for the ones that you didn't put that much work into, like you said. And there are one or two you just threw out there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Some of the, some of the stuff there, you're uh, it's going to be purely educational. Yeah. Like yeah. the records from the China Record Company. Mm-hmm. From uh, 67, 68, Cultural Revolution. I, if I understood what was happening on in the lyrics of some of these songs, I would probably be very disturbed. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> in the meantime, you can just enjoy music from uh, music that you were never meant to hear. <laughs> uh, where can people find you? Um, the Fire Sign stuff is available at firesigntheater.com. T R E. And my blog, where I'm putting up so much of this wonderful guff, is taylorjessen.blogspot.com. 
Awesome. And uh, two S's. What about Twitter? On Twitter, I am Sid Fudd. You can tweet me at Sid Fudd, mm-hmm. the great scientist. That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. And sir. you will come back. I, I will come back. I, even if you don't want to, I'm forcing you now. Well, you know where I live. Yes, I do. Um, thank you again. This has been awesome. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Hey, here's a thing for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> that almost worked. I handed you a thing. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was better in my mind. Nah, I like it. Than the execution I like it. that I It delivered. was a delay that I like. I, I like that it took a while to get there. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. 